Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling With Memories. I am Wax the Brain Hussein and I'm joined by Fash the Million Dollar Fan. Fash, we're almost at the end of 1991. We've got one special event to go this Tuesday in Texas. Where the hell did this come from? Well, that's the thing. It's an extra event, as you say. So up to this point, we had the big four pay-per-views. And um, in 1981, Vince wanted to experiment with another night. And he thought Tuesday night could be the new pay-per-view night. So this event um, was set up in response to his belief that, you know, this could work. It's only six days after the Survivor Series, which we just discussed. Um, And I think the results are very much mixed if not actually negative in the end but um yeah it just felt really weird and thrown together um as we said survivor series is more of a, a kind of advert you know advert for this and they were talking about this because it was so soon um you know coming in the next week and you know it was thrown together so i just felt the whole kind of build up to this was really odd and it just felt out of place yeah i mean uh wrestling fans they love their build up to a, a big show uh, and we certainly didn't get very much of that maybe six days worth um, there's a lot of promotion on the Survivor Series show there was nothing else done uh, out with that there was no big advertising or promo campaigns run by the WWF um, and some say actually that one of the reasons this pay-per-view was created was that Vince and the WWF were having some cash flow problems in 1991 business wasn't necessarily all that great um, and some blame the World uh, Bodybuilding Federation as uh, a, a pet project of Vince McMahon as something that you know uh, took a lot of money out of Vince's pocket, um, and as a result, he had to come up with new ways of making money. And one was this additional pay per view. Um, considering there was no real promo or, or advertising for it, they actually did still make a, a little bit of money from this event, which was more than they were expecting. I think as a result of not really pushing it that much. So overall, um, while it wasn't worthwhile keeping a, a pay-per-view on a Tuesday night uh, going forward, I think they must have achieved whatever they wanted to do because they did make a little tidy profit. From I don't show. know, because, yeah, I know you're saying that, but then, you know, we're not going to have another Tuesday night pay-per-view till 2004, I think, Taboo Tuesday. Um, and I think the Survivor Series we covered was one of the weakest performing as well. Um, and the year prior, 1990 Survivor Series was the most successful um, for you know uh, up to that point so I think in general as you say there was the WBF that Vince McMahon was promoting like crazy on WWE's shows and at the same time you know there was this probably popularity was starting to wane in the US and this goes back to being really interesting for us in the UK you know wrestling was really basically exploding and um, whereas in the US um, you know people are getting a little bit tired with the Gulf War stuff and then the steroid situation was now in the news and Hulk Hogan was getting some criticism um, for his media appearances. So it just felt as if, you know, maybe popularity was starting to wane and, you know, they've got these other investments such as the WBF. And yeah, as you say, the best way to maybe trying to get some revenue is another pay-per-view. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll discuss this event. It's interesting from a historical point of view. And as you say, it makes a bit of a profit. But overall, you know, the fact that nothing returned on a Tuesday night until many years later shows that it was an experiment that that ultimately failed. Okay, Fash, so let's jump right into the matches. The first match we've got is Bret Hart, who is the Intercontinental Champion, uh, up against Skinner. Um, Bret Hart very much in the middle of his stellar Intercontinental run, 
his first title run um, as a single that he won off Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. Uh, a great match that we've covered uh, in our archives. And he's up against Skinner, a relatively new character um, in the WWF, one that's not actually been defeated in a singles match on TV, at least, um, since his debut. And this was really going to be his first uh, loss um, against Bret Hart. Um, see, any memories? This, yeah, can I say, I think they screwed up here because I assumed it was his first loss as well outside of the Survivor Series. But then the other day I watched the Survivor Series showdown leading into our shows and Tito Santana defeats him in that. So I think they forgot that he'd actually lost to television as well. But certainly they were presenting it as if, you know, he was undefeated coming into this. Um, in terms of memories of this, I mean, I think it's probably Skinner's best match in the WWF, but um, yeah, it was okay. I think what interesting to us at the time, we didn't know, but Skinner, aka Steve Kern, was actually a successful character and a tag team he had with Stan Lee, known as the Fabulous Ones. But at this point, you know, his look had changed. He was now this Florida alligator hunter. Um, and totally a big departure from what you know wrestling fans had seen of him previously. Yeah, so Skinner is a name that I've always remembered uh, for two reasons. One is that his whole spitting black goo into a tin gimmick that he used to do, which used to just disgust and freak me out completely. Um, it was obviously chewing tobacco or whatever. Um, and the second is that not a lot of fans remember Skinner as a character. Um, so it'd be one that you could show off your knowledge to people who, you know, thought they were wrestling fans, but didn't, weren't actually big wrestling fans because they could never remember the characters like uh, Repo Man or Skinner, who Repo Man will cover later on in the uh, in the show. Um, so yeah, it's just a memorable character, not necessarily for his in-ring performance. Uh, Bret Hart ends up winner. You know, he was never going to lose the title to Skinner here, uh, and he's going to continue his feud with the Mountie after this show. It was a decent outing, but nothing spectacular. As I yeah, mentioned. I think, you know, with Bret, you know, he's always working great, and Years later, Steve Kern has said that he was asked to work in a more slower fashion by Vince McMahon, um, which explained why he wasn't, you know, up to his best. But, you know, that, that's his side of things. Um, and as you say, he used to spit out the, the kind of tobacco juice or whatever. Um, but And he actually has an interesting story of how um, Skinner says that, you know, later on, he's going to have a match with the Ultimate Warrior in 92. And he says right before the match, Warrior says, you better not spit that at me. <laughs> and he does it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the next match is our the big one, I think, that everybody's been waiting a long time to see. It's Macho Man Randy Savage um, against Jake the Snake Roberts. It's a feud that's been built up over several months now um, since SummerSlam. Uh, we covered it in our archive in a very recent show that we've done to cover that particular feud in a lot of detail. We've covered this match, which Randy Savage wins after a fairly um, brief encounter uh, but that's not really the most important thing. The most important thing is what happens after the match. Jake the Snake gets one up over Macho Man again um, and includes a shocking slap to Elizabeth as well. Um, so check out our archive. We've done a lot of, um, we've gone in depth on this match. And yeah, this I mean, with Etsy, here's the, the key things, as you say. I like the way this started. And, you know, you know Jake the Snake Roberts' music's playing, Macho Man's getting interviewed. He hears the music and he just goes running out. And that made it feel real. He wasn't waiting for his entrance music. So he attacks him, as you say, quick match, gets the pin, but it's more about the story after that. And as you've detailed, we cover that extensively in the archives in our special on this blood feud. So certainly check that out. Our next match is the never-ending story between the Warlord and the British Bulldog. Fast, we've talked a little bit about these two. Um, in fact, we've talked a lot about these two because they seem to always be wrestling each other. So I went back and I decided when was the 
first match between the two, and it was over a year ago in December 1990. That's when they started their run together, and they've pretty much been wrestling each other for a whole year now, uh, which gets a little bit boring with the style that these guys work. And not even one good match. So they've worked with each other so much, but the matches are, are not great because, as you say, at this point, you know, Davy Boy was pretty big and the Warlord was limited as well. So you weren't getting a lot from them. And I don't know, it just shows that they had nothing for these guys at this point in terms of feuds. So they just kept them going with each other. And the match ends with um, actually a pretty cool spot with the British Bulldog um, doing a crucifix um, to get the pin on the Warlord. And I think this is the end of this feud finally. This yeah. match, Fash, is you know several months after the, the whole steroid trial and the, the debacle has sort of erupted. Uh, and the WWF has you know, put in a lot of tests and a lot of procedures in place to try and reduce steroid use and to generally just reduce the size of the bodies that you know, they were seeing in wrestling. But these two certainly didn't seem to um, reduce in stature. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll get into more details in that, but I think you really see a, a notable shift in 1992 at this point i'm not sure how strict things were if you look at various people on this card but you're going to see in 1992 you know later on there's going to be you know warlord there's going to be you know uh, barbarian and you know down the line the british bulldog will eventually not be there either so i think this is as you say the steroid issue kind of erupted at this point but real action was you know and the pressure was really going to get on vince and the wwe um you know in in the year that was coming there was a pretty cool spot in the match where the British Bulldog does a, a suicide dive outside of the ring and the Warlord catches him, just about. Um, and, you know, a suicide dive, very uncommon back in the day, but you see that every day now. Uh, but, you know, for a guy his size, yeah. the Davy Boy could really work. Uh, and, he, you know, he was, I think, a, a very good wrestler. Uh, maybe not Brett and Owen level, but I think he was actually a very strong wrestler um, compared to most others. Well, for me, you know, he improved... As Tim, I think he was too big here. And, you know, as you see, that's a really impressive spot. And he had that. But, you know, in terms of working a match over a duration, it was difficult unless he had somebody with him that could really, you know, guide, such as Brett. Um, but I think as you go over the years and he becomes a bit tremor, then you see some excellent British Bulldog matches. Um, here, as I said, he didn't have the right opponent, but he himself being limited did the best that he could. But, yeah, I'm glad the feud came to an end here. Yep. We're moving on to the next match, which is the Million Dollar Man and the Repo Man versus Tito Santana, who is now the El Matador um, and Virgil in the tag team match. This was probably the best match on the show um, for me. It was done at a good pace. Both the Repo Man and El, El Matador debuted uh, over the summer of 91. Well, I say debuted, even though both were regular fixtures in the WWF uh, roster before that. Um, Repo Man, a favourite of yours, Fash, at least maybe not in this guise, but certainly in previous ones. Well, that's the thing. Um, at the time, I had no clue of this, and it did take some years to work it out because the change was so, so good. But as we've said previously, this was an era where guys were repackaged all the time. So yeah, Repo Man was actually um, Demolition Smash repackaged. And we've spoken about, you know, this was an era where wrestlers were repackaged into new gimmicks all the time. But this one was actually quite a good one because I don't think most people would have known as in you know the type of audience we were at the time not being in the know um, because you know he cut his hair he had the mask I think he trimmed down a little bit as well and he changed the way he spoke a little bit so at the time I certainly didn't know that this was um, Demolition Smash and it was a new gimmick um, and quite an interesting gimmick I guess um, but very cartoonish to reflect the times 
And what about yourself? When did you realize it was um, a long time later? And even, uh, you know, seeing him without the mask, I wouldn't have put it together because obviously Demolition were, you know, had their face paint as well. So it was just, it was just one of those odd um, uh, transitions between a a character from Demolition to the repo man. I mean, you can't really get much different from it. Exactly. Uh, So it was one of those repackings because of, as you say, the previous look and this look that they could get away with. Um, But those that were in the no new, but you know, it's totally, as you say, different gimmick to what we'd seen previously. Um, When it came to Tito, it was slightly different. What did you think of El Matador in this repackaging? Well, I think I hadn't seen, or we hadn't seen the early version of Tito Santana until maybe a lot later. Um, but I have always been a big fan of El Matador and Tito Santana generally. I thought he was a great worker. I thought he had a lot of charisma and, uh, you know, he's just How did a he have charisma? Nice How, he's a good worker, but when did he Olé! have <laughs> that's not, that's, that's certainly not charisma? He didn't even say that with conviction. Um, nah. I think he's a great character. I don't know how you can disagree, but just, I think uh, I think you know, great worker. Um, but he was jobbed out so much over the years um, that I think it was too late for this gimmick change. I mean, interesting. I mean, Tito had been with them full time since 1983. Yeah. So before you know the rock and wrestling era and you know Hulk Hogan and everybody. So you know that's a long time. And you know within that he had success. He was the Intercontinental Champion. He was Tag Team Champion. But you know after the breakup with Rick Martel, he was kind of just there and he'd lose to whoever the next big heel was going to be so i felt this repackaging came too late and yes he's now the bullfighter but you know i just didn't see this i mean it didn't it wasn't successful and at the time as a kid i don't remember really being too impressed by tito santana the el matador either i don't know i loved him but i mean i think uh, i think they were trying to tap into his heritage a little bit at this time and you'll see another character um you know starting his journey with the wwf very soon uh, an American Indian, um, and again, I think they're playing off these different heritages to try and bring in more uh, a more diverse audience. Tito and Repo Man get involved fairly, um, you know, late on in the year. Uh, the Repo Man is hired by the Million Dollar Man to get involved um, and to cost Virgil the title, um, and Tito Santana comes out to help Virgil at one point when he's getting a, a beat down from the Million Dollar Man and his goon. <clears throat> and uh, that leads obviously to this tag team match, a, a very good match I would say, um, a lot of tension throughout the match, the good pace um, it ends with um, Sherry who's trying to take out Virgil but she accidentally hits um, Million Dollar Man uh, in the head with her sandal uh, that leaves the Repo Man to do a little knee in the back to Virgil and that's all it takes apparently to wipe out Virgil for the one, two, three. Um, and I suppose it just goes to show what a terrible wrestler Virgil was. Um, that a, a simple knee in the back could could you know cost him. It's, it's an odd sequence because yeah, Sherry hits Ted DiBiase, um, but then Repo Man, as you say, very easily pins Virgil. I think this was basically saying you know this is the end of that feud really, and Virgil's not going to get a shot at the the million dollar title again. And it was kind of a, Virgil does appear on pay per views after this but I think the shine was off now and, and that was the end of him um, yeah it was a good match but once again what's interesting for me is there's such a disconnect even between this pay-per-view and Survivor Series which was so now we're going to this feud but it's nothing to do with you know when you look at Survivor Series Tito was in a totally different match and um, Reap Man wasn't even on that card but suddenly we're moving to this you're talking about the previous match which was Bret Hart and Skinner and there was no real feud there Bret Hart's feuding with the Mounties so it's just 
thrown together once again and you know they're picking and choosing what they want to do but overall yeah I think it's probably the best match of the night I don't know maybe Brett Skinner is probably you know similar but um, I think this one probably had a little bit more energy to it and that takes us on to the main event of the show which is the rematch between The Undertaker and Hulk Hogan obviously The Undertaker is now uh, currently our world champion um, and you know there's something interesting that happened at the end of the, the previous match when Jack Tunney announced the rematch. He goes, the referee's decision is final, but he's still going to, you know, um, he's still going to set up a, a rematch for this um, and something similar will happen at, at the end of this match as well. Uh, Jack Tunney also announced that he's going to be at ringside to make sure that if there's any shenanigans, he's on he's on, on call to make sure to call them out to the referee. Um, uh, I mean, just how do you think this match compared to the previous match Actually, it was only six days apart. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't... It was very similar to the previous match. Maybe a slight improvement. I think the crowd was a little bit more energetic given it was a, a rematch. Um, but not a great match again. Once again, I think, you know, as we've discussed, Undertaker was working a certain style he was told to and Hulk Hogan was still, you know, maybe not bringing as much energy as he could. Um, but, you know, they, they, they had a few sequences which were okay. I would probably say it's marginally better in the Survivor Series match. I don't know what your view is, but um, once again, it was more about the ending here than, than the actual match. Yep. So we have Ric Flair coming down to the ring. Um, he's stopped by Jack Tunney just before he getting, sort of get involved. But Hulk Hogan spots this. He grabs a chair, hits Ric Flair in the back, um, inadvertently causing him to hit into Jack Tunney and knock both of them down. So Hulk Hogan comes back into the ring. Um, Undertaker tries to wipe him out with the urn. Hulk Hogan evades, uh, manages to get the urn open uh, and throws ashes into Undertaker's face uh, and gets the win. Jack Tunney has managed to get himself up on his feet, which is about as much as he could do, but he does spot the end of this match, which will lead to an announcement at the end. But in essence, the the Hulk Hogan even uh, will win the title back from the Undertaker at the end of this match which means Undertaker only held the belt for about six days, uh, one of the shortest title reigns that you'll probably ever see. Yeah, I mean, um, the main thing is, what is wrong with Hogan and throwing things in people's eyes? So, you know, we discussed SummerSlam, he takes some powder and throws it in Slaughter's eyes. Here he's taking the ashes of the urn and throwing them in the Undertaker's eyes. And as you say, he gets the pin, but um, Jack Tunney sees it all. Um, what I, You know, for me, it was, you know, they still kept Undertaker strong here because of the nature of the loss and they also played off a similar angle to what happened at Survivor Series showing that there was just too much controversy going on even with Jack Tony out there who is useless um, you know the, the ending is screwy So Hulk Hogan becomes the WWF champion for the fourth time or does he fash? Well that's what we're led to believe as the pay-per-view closes but on the next episode of Superstars there is an announcement from Jack Tunney. He essentially says with the two screw finishes that have happened at Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas um, the title is now vacant and it will be up for grabs at the 1992 Royal Rumble. So this was a big monumental um, decision by Jack Tunney and what he does say is because the Undertaker and Hogan were the last two champions, they will be given a spot in the last 10 of the Royal Rumble. What this now has done is opened up the championship to everyone and this is going to kick us into what many consider to be the greatest Royal Rumble ever. So, you know, you and I have both been very interested and excited um, about 1992 and talking about it. So we are moving towards that, um, you know, really historic year. 
Yeah. So what were your overall views of this special pay-per-view, Fash? I mean, unbeknownst to most people, there were actually 14 matches um, at the event, but most of them were dark matches. We got where we wouldn't get to see a lot of the, the, the characters that we did in Survivor Series. Um, but well, for the show itself, it was quite a short show. I think maybe just over 90 minutes. Um, yeah. What, what were your thoughts? I thought it was another mediocre show. I think this coupled with Survivor Series, both of them weren't very good and very much storyline driven, you know, like a couple of episodes of Raw or something. As you say, there was so many dark matches and one of them was Ric Flair against Rowdy Piper. Now, for the life of me, I don't know why they didn't have that match on this card, given it was only a 90 minute show and that feud doesn't really get a payoff on television and um, so i would have added that and that may have added a bit too but overall for me another thumbs down i think you know they really closed out 91 in a weak manner when it came to the pay-per-views um the storylines were decent and we're moving into as i say quite a big storyline but um yeah for me it's it's a thumbs down um what's your view i would tend to agree if you take out the macho man and jake the snake roberts section uh, I would say it was it, there was nothing really to stand out again other than maybe the ending of the Hulk Hogan Undertaker match, um, and that pretty much closes out 1991 for us. We do want to do a quick uh, recap of what happens between now uh, and the start of the Royal Rumble. We'll cover the Rockers in a lot more detail uh, in our next episode, uh, and then we'll move on to the Rumble itself, which is going to be a very special event for us. Flash, it's going to be our first watch along. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're proposing to do is, um, you've seen the similar format with Conrad Thompson and his podcast, but you know we both want to relive it. So we'll be watching the Royal Rumble and we would then also encourage all of you to watch it as the podcast comes out. Um, so it will be a listen-only episode, um, but we can really talk about every aspect of that really big historic match where you know Ric Flair really showed that he was something special. Yep. So until then, I'm Wax, he's Fash, this is Wrestling With Memories, and we'll see you soon.